Welcome to Budo, the Way of the Warrior podcast. This podcast is a collection of historical and philosophical references, contemplations, lectures, and exchanges with David M. Valadez, his students, and guests. Podcasts are recorded on the mat at the Sension Center in Southern California and in studio. These podcasts are provided to cultivate the warrior on the way and to add light to their path. Any questions? Yes, please. I was having a hard time trying to understand the, the leaning movement. I started going through other like, reasons in my head why it was working efficiently for others but not for me. Mm-hmm. I kind of went back and forth on the, well, this person is bigger, this person is smaller, so that would be more drastic. Whereas when I was working in Virginia, I felt like I didn't even have face to lean because I felt like I was already in like, two reps of lean. Mm-hmm. No, it does. It does. But my is a combination of time and space. So it's not necessarily the case that um, you go, oh, my, my uke has got shorter arms than my next uke, and so I need to bring my T-Rex arms out, right? Instead, it might be a matter that you might have to move earlier or you might get to move later. Uh, you don't want to compromise the body organization because the body organization is structurally sound, whereas the T-Rex arms are not structurally sound. And that's one of the reasons why you change ukes because it, that's what we mean when we talk about my. It's not just a concept. It's a skill that you find the right place, right time every single time, no matter who you're with, no matter what the conditions are. So the my always changes, but the body organization is the universal that allows for that change to cultivate a skill of constant adaptability or a capacity for adaptability. And yeah, it's not, you can think of it too, not just in terms of sizes, Different ukes have different energies, and they create their own problems in body organization, right? You'll have those those ukes who, you know, they just freak you out, or they're freaked out, and so they're not really present, and you're going to have to learn how to adapt to them. Well, what does it mean to adapt? doesn't mean to do anything. It means take that proper body organization and find the my for that uke, for that rep. And you can go even further. No uke, it's impossible for any uke to do the same exact movement every single time. So that would mean that every single rep that you do, you are practicing that adaptability. In fact, that is one of the reasons why the beginner has such a hard time. They don't have that adaptability. They have their way, you see. They do it that way no matter what. And so after you get past, you know, which foot goes forward, how do you shift your weight, that too is difficult because you won't let go of your way, right? You, this is how I walk. This is how, this is what feels natural to me. And so it takes a while for you to learn that. But let's say after you get the sequences, the steps that you need to take, um, you're, you're, you first have a uke who you like, right? You're like, this, 
this suke I can go with. And they're just in your, we, so we say, they're in your comfort zone, right? You, you have matched your uh, sense of self has coincidentally matched who they are at that time. And they become your favorite uke. Uh, that is one reason why I, I make you guys change. You know, Leah has favorite uke. You can't have favorite uke. And, and why I tell you guys to go with the people who you can't stand, right? Those are the ones that are going to help you learn because they're not in your comfort zone, right? They're not matching you. They're making you uncomfortable. Why is that? It's not their fault. It's your inability to let go of yourself. That is the problem. And you cannot adapt to anything until you can let go of yourself. So you, I, you guys tend to work out together a lot. You're like, hey, we're both new guys and we're both big guys. You could be brothers, right? Hey, train with other people. Go with people that make you feel like you should have T-Rex arms, right? Go with, go with people who, who, who can hurt you and all that kind of stuff, right? You're going to be better in the long run for that. Um, and just understand that natural process to, hey, I, I, this person is comfortable. But structurally, get a hold of that. Why? Because you won't let go of yourself. That's not the training. That's the opposite of the training. Trying to stay sticky, like which role like were you, Naga or Uke? Um, as as Naga. So you're Naga, and then you're saying they're trying to move you. So, so when so I think I'm Naga, then yeah. if I'm not the one doing the yeah, you're me. doing the throw. Yeah. Um, um, so when I'm, my arm was inside, and as they were moving their arm towards up, um, just the just the following. I, I'm not sure what that means, but I, if I use that phrase, I think that is closer to, to me as Nage moving them, to being correct. Okay. I often say they're telling you where to go, right? Because they, their movement is generating the yin spaces, and so you're filling the yin spaces. You're harmonizing to their yang with your yin and right, vice versa. So... They have to be telling you where to go. The only limitation to that is um, when it comes to these deeper levels of musubi, right? Um, it stops making sense then. That the, the, the action-reaction uh, dichotomy isn't as quite readily usable, okay? You don't have that sense, like that's what I mean. You have the sense that slow motion in a drill where you're working on connection, you will develop that sense. But when it's a free-for-all and everyone can do whatever, um, you won't even remember what you did, let alone that they made you do it. Yeah. And you demonstrated the 
when you started it, right after, second after, um, I realized I always get surprised. Even though I know what we're doing, it's just never feeling like I'm ready or ending with that fun, like stepping across time every day, getting on the ground and just being like, okay, I'm ready. Yeah. I'm standing right now. I'm here. That, that connection is really the only thing that is martial. When you have that, it doesn't matter what you do. Um, but if you don't have that, it also doesn't matter what you do. Okay? In, a, in a sport environment where the, the opponent's on the other side of the ring in a different pair of colored shorts, and there's a ref, and then it's okay. But in, in the real environment where ambush, right, and, um, and you always being on the reactionary side of something, if you can't have that... Uh, invisible connection, right? Because you can't see it and we're not touching. It's not, it's not, I don't think it's magical at all. Um, I think it's the same senses that you always use, but just like at other levels, grosser levels, <clears throat> excuse me, the self gets in the way of my sensory perception, right? <clears throat> so what if I could have less self that gets in the way. It would stand a reason then that those same sense, sense tools would be more perceptive. I think that's what's going on. I think we do it all the time. I think if you ever have been in a love affair, you, you do it. The problem is that uh, in the same way with that same lover that you might have, if you're angry or you feel wrong, you can't really hear what they're telling you. You can't really feel them, right? Well, here you are in the toxic environment of human versus human violence. And the tendency is to become more egocentric, not less egocentric. And so, as, I, as there is a relationship between egocentric, egocentricity and the loss of perception, it would make sense that I cannot see this thing until a th observer would go, wow, that thing started way before you reacted to it. You see that? But somebody who could reconcile more of themselves so they're not so prone to an egocentric behavior or reaction, even in the toxic environment of human versus human violence, they would be able to move right when they move. It's not magic. I'm, you're not reading the mind. You're just present. It started. That's all. It started. The, 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 the difference that we're seeing is on the other side. You're starting late. It already happened. That's the difference, right? And that kind of that kind of perception is what we mean is what people try to get to when they talk about presence, right? You're in the present. That's the present. The person that's late is not in the present. And being in the present is the same thing you, you would use for what we want to call intuition. I don't think it is intuition. I think it's just the same old perception skills not being interfered with, with what we know interferes with them. 
So we might call somebody, oh, he's very, she's very, right, intuitive. That is just, they're not getting in the way of what they're observing, of what they're sensing. So it could be a, a dog or a pet, you know, a, a baby or a lover or a child or a stranger or the victim of a crime or the reporting party or your boss or whoever. You're not reading minds. You're just not in the way of the message. So I think if you want to give some kind of goals to your training, that has to be one of them. You can, you can throw out ikkyo. You can throw out every kihon waza. That's the goal you need. You know, ikkyo, nikkyo, shihonage, those are all vessels to help you develop this other skill. But unfortunately, they become the obsession, and we forget about the skill behind them. So, you know, to me, the practical, the question of practicality is not an architectural one. It's a perception one. That's what it is. And that kind of training is very difficult. That used to be the only goal of Budo. But now the arts have died. They've become new museum pieces. They get sidetracked with certificates and ranks and things like that. And nobody asks anymore, can you be present? Show me. No one does that. It should be like if you do one, you do one test, the instructor should be able to see, did you move right when they moved or is there a little? And this should be over. Yes, good. No. <laughs> Go back, get back to work. And instead it's like, Let's see if you know Nikyo. And now let's see if you can do Nikyo from this attack or that attack. And now on two people. Really? Who gives a shit? Why does it stop there? Why does it stop with two or three or four? Or why does it stop with a, a wrist grab or a double wrist grab? Well, you know, why don't you keep going? It's all misunderstanding. So you have to aim there. You have to aim there. And the problem is the problem of self and the intrusion of self on perception and the warping of time. When you were helping Virginia when she was partnered with Taylor uh, and instructing to go around and off foot, is that the same skill development that we're looking for uh, in the growth movement like uh, Taino Hanko? Yes, yeah. Taino Henko conceptually, because it has Idimi Tenkan, right? That's, that's why you don't want to leave the first foot out, the first step, right? You do, you do Idimi and then you do the Tenkan. So Taino Henko is the universe because it has Yang and Yin. It has entering and a turning. It has a linear and a, and a curve. So the, you, can, you can do that with any technique, though, because... Aikido is always going to have those things, yin and yang, 
line and curve, entering and turning, always, it's always going to have it. It's representative of the kind of communion of these apparent opposites. So when you do Tai no Henko right, you will do every technique right. But when you do Ikkyo right, you'll do Tai no Henko right. And that goes the same way because if, if I have my attachment to ego and I have my, uh, my attachment to the other guy, there's a kind of yin-yang there too. So I can't really do Tai no Henko until I can be present until my ego is not pulling me and blinding me and warping time. I can't. You, you, you can look like it, but just like masters of old look and go, you're doing the movement, but it's not right. The timing's not there, or the communion's not there, or it's artificial, it's superficial. That's what they're seeing because there's not a reconciliation of in and out of self and other. But all that can happen in Tai no Henko. But if you're not doing it, then Tai no Henko is a total waste of time. And so is what? Everything else. Everything else is a waste of time. Or awaiting. Right? Awaiting for you to figure it out. To start trying to figure it out. But like any waiting, right? It's only worth the wait if you get it in the end. If we just sit there and wait and we never get it, there's no difference between waiting and not doing it. I, I, I was thinking about Bao Ching's question yesterday about uh, you know other ways of cultivating humility. And my answer was, well, it could be, but it could, you don't have to be. It's kind of the same thing. Ikkyo could be the vehicle, but it could also be nothing. Because there's something innate about the human spirit that it can be in one thing, but also be totally absent. That's, that's why there's a mystery to it. And I, again, I don't think you have to get at the level of, you know, the master or the Buddha to figure that out about our own humanity. Right? Everyone's had a cold fish hug or a cold fish handshake, right? Or that one kiss that went after you should have broke up. Last month, right? So clearly you can do a movement and have it be totally empty of this deeper, invisible, intangible, but ever so meaningful stuff that we lump together and call spirit. So how then or why then would Ikkyo be any different? Why then would the art be any different? Why then would the dojo be any different? Why then would this 
relationship between you and me be any different? You, you make it what it is either way. And you, you want to ask, how do I put my spirit in there? I could give you some canned answer. But you know where my mind always goes? My mind always goes to the, 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 uh, the historical riddle of why subcontinent India would come up with all this stuff and would never let go of karma and reincarnation. It always perplexed me as a student studying religion. And yeah, I would, you know, you read like the Zen monks and the, they would ask them, one one would ask, well, hey, you know, Master, what about reincarnation? Mm, it's there, but let's not talk about it. That was their answer. I think what, what, what now looking back, I think, and I've said it, I think what the Indian philosophers were saying is like, I don't know why. Who can say why? Who can say why one person can put their whole spirit into something and another person can do the same exact movement and have it be void of spirit? Really, really, if you really push anyone, that's going to be the answer. I mean, you might give hints. You know, we're reading that book now. I looked up my what my uh, my critique was. I don't know if any of you guys looked it up, but short story is this. So remember, remember, I read it at the very beginning when it made no sense to me. Zen and the art of archery. I didn't know what he was talking about. And then later, as a doctorate candidate and a historian in in the study of religion, I came across. This other guy who got to do his, you know, postgraduate degree on on a on that book, which my mentor would never let me uh, talk about, right? So I I will admit there was kind of like, are you kidding me? But it, the gist of it was that the author of this thesis was a kudo practitioner, and he basically was of the mind. I I didn't I've never done Zen. I don't do Zen and, and Zen has nothing to do with Kudo. Well, you could say that about anything, couldn't you? You could say that about Aikido. Look at Aikido today. The founder was deeply religious, you know, seriously a mystic. There are more people who aren't even close to that in Aikido. Does that mean that Aikido never had any, any influence at all? Does that mean like Aikido's history stops with you or me and there's not someone in the future ahead of us who goes right back to that? But my points were, you know, something like Kudo, like Aikido, it's a living history. You don't get to say what it is. Certainly not by asking one person. But there's also a history of thought. And there's no way you'd have a Kudo or an Aikido or anything like that without a concept pre-existing both the formation of those two things. 
that made it possible that you could reach some sort of spiritual awakening of some kind, some sort of self-cultivation through an entirely otherwise secular practice. That history had to proceed before you put dough on the end of And in that, from the perspective of the history of thought, there is no Kudo without Zen. Not possible. But is it possible for anyone to do Kudo without having any connection at all about Zen? Even saying that has nothing to do with it. Yes, because it's a living history. So same thing here. You can come to this dojo, even here. Sit right here across from me. And like I said at the beginning, like, can I leave class? Can I, can I? You can do whatever you want. Haven't you noticed? Everyone does. It's kind of cute, but it's totally true, isn't it? I'm doing whatever I want. This is how, this is how I understand the art. The art doesn't make sense to me the other way. I'm not talking about Aikido. I'm talking about my Aikido. Even that question, what is Aikido? That has a history. When people started talking like that, that there was an Aikido outside of the individual practitioner, there's a history to that. That's not a given. You could go on to define it for everybody for all times. There's a history. There's people who came up with that idea. And just because I say has nothing to do with me, I'm still influenced by that history of thought. You could read everything I've ever said or written as a rebellion against this universal thing called Aikido. I wouldn't make sense if there wasn't people doing that. Just like the Zen hermit doesn't make sense if there was no monastery. Kind of like the atheist even. Right? What does Alan Watts say? Right? I'm an atheist. There is no God and I'm his prophet. You're like, what? Yeah, who would? To, 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 to say there's no God is to be obsessed with. It's like a jilted lover. I'm so over that guy. I'm so over him. Everyone else is going, I don't think so. Right? To proclaim atheism is to be probably the more devout believer than most believers nowadays. Most believers are very inconsistent and hypocritical. But that atheist is going to take their atheism everywhere with them and make sure you know it, right? So there's the question. Okay, how do I do this? How do I put my spirit into this? You're not satisfied with my answer. 
and probably shouldn't be, not at an individual level. But I would say, you know, it's probably more to do with what you won't do versus what you will do. I think as a practitioner, you'll get further by looking at what you won't do. I think that's probably why most of the religions came up with what we moderns look back at and look as rules and oppression and why discipline gets this bad name. But I think they were trying to look at what you don't do is what counts. Because it lends itself towards consistency and the absence of hypocrisy. I think that's also why you have many of the ancient traditions really making a problem out of hypocrisy. What, what is that not what's going on when you have one practice that's supposed to be super meaningful, but you're just going through the motions? Yeah. So some of the things we've mentioned here, we know that I need to be brave. Let's just take that. The warrior virtue of courage, bravery. Okay. All forms of cowardice. I have to problematize them. I have to observe myself in the face of them. And I have to stop practicing any form of retreat, disengagement, deflection, anything like that. Then I actually have the virtue of bravery. Discipline, commitment. Okay, all forms of quitting, I cannot do. I think you'll get more out of these things by, you'll, you'll, you will develop the virtue of commitment, not by trying, not, you know, trying to be committed, but by never quitting. I think that's more doable than telling ourselves, I'm going to really hang in there. I'm going to keep this diet. I'm going to keep this training schedule. Right? I think you get further by going, all forms of quitting, I don't do. All forms of cowardice, I don't do. So if I take your question of the virtue of humility, am I opening the door? So that I'm proud of my humility? I wouldn't do that if I go, well, the virtue is humility, but all forms of pride I do not do. Then you can open the doors and they, right? They will be an act of service and self-displacement. Whereas if you don't, you can open the door and it's actually doing the opposite. So the same thing in your Aikido. What am I trying to do? 
What is the goal with each technique? Right? Let's take today. Don't clash. Don't clash. All forms of clashing I will not do. I will not be satisfied with any form of clashing versus I'm going to try to blend. How can you do that when you don't know what that is yet? Just you'll feel yourself pushing, right? So you know what you should do? Hey, stop pushing. And now guess what? Now you're blending. Right? Because every time you try to blend, what do you do instead? You do what you do. I think there's something in the negative. And I think we don't know how to use it anymore as a culture because we're always taught, focus on the positive. Focus on the positive. Think positive. You're going to positive your way into awakening. And then we've never seen that. Human history has never shown that. I imagine now there might be some religious traditions somewhere that, you know, they might have a an anti-Ten Commandment kind of thing, and it's all positive stuff. You know what I mean? But that if you look in the in the in the spectrum of human history, that's like right, right. That's the very end, like one line where you had centuries of other generations ago. You know, really, it can't be that they didn't think of that. It's probably it just doesn't work. Probably doesn't work. Maybe we're missing something when we about the negative. We're not understanding something correctly about it. And it might be the teachers that are using it. Maybe they're using it incorrectly. You see? Maybe our problems with those teachers and not necessarily with this technology. So we're throwing the technology out because the teacher sucked. Many people do that. So I think when you come to your training, okay, I don't think the ideals are beyond any one of you. You know exactly what you're trying to do. You know exactly what you should be doing. But you let yourself do things you shouldn't be doing. Hold yourself true to what you know. That's what we say in the kids' class, right? Do what you know. Right? Little Johnny knows you're not supposed to run around in the circles all over whenever you want. I don't need to tell you that. And you know you should not be pushing in the Musubi drill. <laughs> so just hold yourself to it. You know you should be present. So don't let yourself get distracted. Hold that as a problem. If need be as a sin, bring it up to that level. So that you can energize yourself from where you are to where you want to be. This concludes this episode of Budo, the Way of the Warrior podcast. For more information, please visit sentiencenter.com, S-E-N-S-H-I-N, 
C-E-N-T-E-R.com or find us at Facebook at Sension Center and on our YouTube channel at Sension One. Thank you for listening.